Welcome to the Abundant Vision Fundraising Podcast. Whether you're a seasoned professional or a first-time fundraiser, we have the advice you need to take your next step towards major gift mastery. And today I'm pleased to have my guest, friend, and mentor, Bill Bartolini, join me today. Welcome, Bill. Why, thank you very much. Hello, Tom. It's good to talk to you again. Oh, you as well. You as well. Gosh, we're, we're so thankful for the fact that you could become available and, and join us today. You've done a lot in your career. Uh, how many years have you been in, in fundraising, Bill? <laughs> well, 40 plus. I, I think we're close to hitting the 45 mark. Uh, yeah, it's been a few years it, and it goes by very quickly. Well, I know that that our audience, uh, it's made up of a lot of people, folks that are new to the field, folks that have been around a while. But I think one of the things that that I always enjoy most when I'm listening to a podcast is is kind of to, to learn broadly about the arc of the individual's career and, and kind of their journey a, along the way. Could you share with us a little bit about, you know, where you got your start, where, where your career took you and, and what you're doing now? Be happy to, Tom. Well, like uh, many people, I uh, didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. And so I actually uh, sold shoes at Sears and luggage and kids' clothing for a while. And then I worked in community theater. But eventually I found fundraising. And uh, my career really focused on mainly working for large universities with a smattering of nonprofits in between, like a child abuse prevention agency and an organization that provided educational materials for the blind and dyslexic. So in that process, I've had a, a great, wonderful breadth of experiences, and I'm very thankful for that. Oh, that's, that's fantastic. So, so how are you spending your time now? <laughs> well, I'm fortunate to say that I'm retired now, although I need to find a new word because retirement, it's really kind of reprogramming or, or moving into a different direction. So I volunteer quite a bit. I do a little bit of consulting and I mentor other fundraisers, which is probably the thing that keeps me young and active. Oh, I'll bet. I'd love to hear, like, what are some of your volunteer interests, Bill? Well, my big thing is being active with the Association of Fundraising Professionals, AFP. Mm -hmm. Yes. And uh, then I've also uh, taken on occasional um, little nonprofits to kind of help them out and guide them. Oh, there's a, uh, an, a wonderful culture museum in one of our neighboring towns, for instance. And it's that sort of thing that really um, appeals to me a great deal. Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. So so you mentioned uh, your start a little bit. <laughs> and, and I know you, you did a couple different things, children's theater, those sorts of things. Yes. What, yeah. what was the thing that really pushed you over the edge to dive into professional fundraising? What led you in that direction? Well, I will tell you, I, uh, I was working for the local, local community theater and uh, the grant that paid my salary ran out. And so it just so happened at the same time that my undergraduate alma mater, Ball State University, mm -hmm. was trying to get me to work uh, for their new public radio station. And they wanted a director of promotions and development. So I went ahead and, you know, interviewed and took the job. And about, oh, maybe three or six weeks into the job, my boss said to me, Bill, it's time we do one of those on-air fund drives. 
And I said, well, John, why are you telling me that? And he said, Bill, you're you're uh, <clears throat> director of promotions and development, and that's what development is. It's fundraising. And I was shocked, Tom. I had no idea. I said, well, during the interview process, whenever we talked about development, I talked about audience development, building the audience. And he said, I know. I was afraid if I told you the truth, you wouldn't take the job. So... <laughs> we went ahead and we did, um, you know, one of those wonderful on-air fun drives, uh, call now, make your pledge. And we did that, uh, oh, maybe three weeks later, and we raised $17,864 in three days, and I was hooked. I wow. loved it. So wow. that started it, and I worked in public radio and television for a dozen years before flipping over to uh, other university fundraising. It, you know, it's it's funny how you remember those numbers uh, yes. from early on, the first gift you raised or the the first uh, campaign you led. I'm just, I'm imagining a, a young William Bartolini right now saying, and if you call right now, we'll <laughs> throw in a free copy of this cassette tape of Zamfir playing the fan, pan flute. You are absolutely right. Yes, indeed, we did that sort of thing. Yes. Oh, that's... One of my favorite experiences with that. Mm -hmm. um, do you remember Maslow's hierarchy of sure. motivations, right? Yes. Well, so the idea being, of course, that people have those uh, base uh, motivations at first, you have to have safety and and uh, you work your way up affiliation. And then at the very top, you have self-actualization where you're bigger and broader than yourself. Well, we did one of those on-air fund drives and I thought we're going to go through the steps, you know, and see if we can't move people up to self-actualization, which should be where they are when they make a gift. The first three pledge breaks were so bad, my boss almost had me thrown out. But we got to the upper level and we got to self-actualization and people just went crazy and we, we couldn't answer all the phones. It was a wonderful experience. Oh, that sounds like it. Wow. Well, well, we'll probably talk about Maslow and some of those things later when we talk about your doctoral degree. I, I do apologize because I didn't introduce you as Dr. Uh, William Bartolini, but we'll get to that in just a little bit. Okay. So, so in those early days, yes. But both, both when you were doing, you know, the on-air pledge drives and things, but but also in your first jobs as a major gift fundraiser, I, I'm curious to to hear about the struggles you had. <laughs> what were they, and how did you overcome them? Well, uh, first of all. There's just so much to learn when you're brand new. Now, I happen to be motivated by that. I mean, I find it very stimulating to not know something and to have to figure it out. So for me, that was really very important. And figuring out where the resources were so that I could learn what I needed to learn. In the case of uh, raising money for public radio, there was the Public Radio Exchange, which was a, a big information group. But later on, as I started working for universities, AFP, Association of Fundraising Professionals, became very important. CASE, uh, the Council for the Advancement and Support of Education, became important. And also uh, working with other 
the fundraisers and other professionals to find out what they knew. Those were really very important to me. You know, I have to say also that as we go through the uh, the process of uh, discovery, finding out who the prospects are, and then cultivating, and then asking, and then stewarding, as we go through the various steps, whatever names you choose uh, to give them, I find it was really important to learn about each step. That helped me uh, a great deal. So I will tell you, uh, one of my early jobs, um, now, mind you, this was before we had the technology we have today. So we were able to uh, try and figure out who the prospects were. And so we had to have some creative problem solving. We printed off phonathon cards for all of the prospects. And then I sat in my living room for several evenings on the uh, living room floor with a glass of wine, sorting those cards into various stacks. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I think learning is the big challenge and the big struggle at big, at the big very beginning. I'm sure. Now, you mentioned what what I would recognize and what a lot of fundraisers would recognize is the various steps of the cultivation solicitation cycle uh, there that that's oftentimes also talked about in 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 what what's called in the business moves management right mm-hmm. you know I, I I've got to bring this up I was listening to someone today talk about moves management uh-huh. very negatively oh. and uh, and it and it I've heard a number of of my fellow consultants really go off on moves management as as being outdated and as we've got to move beyond there. Now I I do take a position that moves management I feel like is the bread and butter and the foundation of of a good major gift uh, program. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm curious, Bill. Do you see, do you see problems with the moves management <laughs> approach at all? You know it's in large part, uh, dependent on how it is implemented. Mm -hmm. I think the concept of moves management is really very good. The idea that you figure out who your major prospects are, that you have scheduled interactions with them, uh, that you have a trusted partner Mm -hmm. who uh, becomes your voice uh, to that individual. Those are all, you know, excellent things. But I've also seen where moves management has been used to beat up fundraisers. You haven't made your moves. Why are you only talking on the phone? Why aren't you getting out of the office and going to see people? Yes. You know, and and so if we can use moves management as a structure. Yes. And help lift people up so that they are successful, then I think moves management can really make a huge difference to an operation. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I think the folks that are kind of down on it, and and I, I won't mention names because I don't want to pick on anybody, but sure. a lot of times what they're doing is they're, they'll take an example like you just brought up where it's used in a negative way. Mm-hmm. And then their response is, well, well, this is moves management's fault. We just need to get rid of moves management and then right. everything will be great. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it was on my mind this morning. So I wanted to, wanted to get, get your, uh, your thoughts on it. Yeah. Well, and I've been in the the situation where I was supervising. Oh, I don't know. uh, I had 17, I think, in one organization, had over 40 in another. Mm -hmm. And my boss was really 
what he thought was into moves management. Yeah. Uh, but it was really about making sure people were doing their jobs. Yes. And, and uh, so he was pushing the numbers and pushing the numbers when in reality, yes, you have to have a focus on the numbers, but you also need to be focused on the heart, right? Yes. The right. Heart and science. Of- it's both and, right? Yeah. It's not yeah. either or. That's how I've always seen it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, so, you know, <laughs> like we've said, you, you've had a great career, Bill. Mm-hmm. I'd love to hear about some of the highlights from your time in fundraising. First off, tell us about the highlights, but then maybe you could follow that up, that up with, with some of the things you've learned along, along the way. Sure. All right. I'd be happy to do that. I'd be happy to do that. You know, I think the, the real highlight comes down to the people mm. and, and uh, certainly uh, the donors, you know, I have had an opportunity to work with just fantastic people that I would never have been able to meet otherwise. You know, there was a gentleman who inherited oodles of money, but he became a philanthropist. He knew that he couldn't just rest on his laurels. There was a woman who built a billion dollar clothing business. Oh, wow. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I, I had the opportunity to sit in Oscar de la Renta's office asking him for a gift, if that wasn't a thrill. Our meeting with the president of Bloomingdale's, you know. So, and, and but then there's also the ordinary people. One gentleman, I'm going to call him an ordinary gentleman. Yes. Because he was a salt of the earth individual of modest means, but he had an extraordinary heart and wanted to make his corner of the world a little bit better. So- working with those donors, but also with colleagues. You know, I had a social worker. I was working with a a nonprofit organization, and the social worker explained passive-aggressive behavior to me. (laughs) And that became so useful in dealing with some bosses through my years, as well as uh, with some... uh, colleagues and and donors. So it's the listening to people, the learning and connecting with people, the facilitating, uh, the doing of good works. That that really, for me, is a highlight. Now, one of the uh, learnings, as you uh, call it, I believe, a couple of different things come to mind. The first is, I think that people really do have the potential to develop empathy. And I believe that empathy is really the core to philanthropy. Uh, people have to see themselves in somebody else's struggles. They have to identify and then move forward to saying, I want to help that person uh, be lifted up again, to use that phrase. I, I want to help that person or, you know, that the animal or whatever that cause is. So seeing that, um, People can develop empathy and then have the potential to be philanthropic really becomes important to me. The other learning I'll mention is really a a pretty broad one, and that is the technique of fundraising and understanding that through the techniques that vary and differ, whether that is uh, the annual fund or special events or major gifts or principal gifts. It becomes really important to 
learn each of the techniques that make the science and art of fundraising a reality or successful. What would you say is the biggest difference between major gifts and principal gifts? Besides the size of the gift, obviously. Yeah, the size of the gift, absolutely. And I closed my career um, doing principal gifts of $5 million or more. That's right. So I, I think a couple things uh, come to mind. Um, the first one is that often principal gifts uh, will take longer than a major gift. And the biggest reason behind that is generally not the uh, prospect and the prospect thinking, oh my gosh, you know, this is a lot of money, uh, but rather that there are many more people that need to be involved in making the decision to make the gift. Um, so there'll be financial advisors. And what's the best way to make a principal gift um, in terms of, do we sell this stock? Do we, you know, give this stock rather than sell it, of course? Um, do we um, have another tangible asset that we transfer? Do we make the gift as a split or complex gift where there's some things in the estate? There might be some things that are irrevocable and some that are revocable. And then there might be a cash component as well. So it's the complexity of the gift, I think, that really makes the difference. And ideally, uh, that principal gift person will have had a history of major gifts and being involved with the organization. Mm -hmm. Certainly. Certainly. Thank you for that, Bill. Sure. So as, as you're looking out on the fundraising profession today in 2023, <laughs> uh -huh. how has it changed since you've started? Well, I think the big difference, um, first of all, is in the fundraisers and how they get into fundraising. Mm, yeah. Um, you know, and back in my day, uh, folks were, well, they just kind of fell into it, kind of like my story of being That's told, right. well, you've got this job and it's fundraising. But today, I, we have so many of the um, newer generations, whether that's X, Y, Z, or whatever letter comes after that. We have uh, so many people who have experienced philanthropy in their high school, you know, in their college, maybe at their sorority fraternity, and they have a passion. So that, I think, is a huge difference that lets the fundraisers of today have a jump start. They have a shorter learning curve than some of the old folks. I feel like I should put on my old person voice on that. Some of us old folks, you know. I think that's one of the big things. But there's another element, and that is that the the fundraisers of today, again, the latest generations, have a great sense of social justice. Mm, yeah. And they strongly believe in that. I know that you see that within your own kids, Tom. Mm -hmm, I do. And, and that gives me great hope for the future. Uh, I'll paint with a broad brush here and say that um, – uh, my generation, and I'm a baby boomer, tail end of baby boomers, you know, we, we haven't done a very good job about um, caring for our planet, for our future, for our fellow human being, for our animals. And uh, I think that the next generations are going to do much better 
uh, at that than we are. This has been a great 20 minutes, Bill. I'm looking forward to hearing more from you on next week's podcast about current trends in fundraising, your PhD thesis, as well as your volunteer work in AFP. Thanks to everyone for listening. Have a great Thanksgiving and be sure to reach out if you have questions you'd like to see us answer on one of our upcoming podcasts.